podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Let's Talk Leicester City podcast. We have had a busy week, two two games, transfer deadline day and a lot more to get into. But before we do any of that, James, how are you doing, mate? Really good. Uh, great win yesterday, so you can't not be happy with a 5-0 win. No, exactly that, exactly that. And obviously it's now three wins in a row, Birmingham in the Cup. Swansea on Tuesday night, yesterday beating uh, beating Stoke, and it wasn't just beating Stoke, dismantling Stoke, 5-0. So it's a lot to get into. Before we get any further, I just want to say, guys, do make sure to drop a, video, uh, a like on the video, comment down below your thoughts. Also, if you're watching this back at six o'clock, it will be as a premiere. So get involved in the live chat, because I know a lot of people get confused between the comment section and live chat whilst uh, this is being released as a premiere. Get involved with the live chat. It's, uh, it always makes it more enjoyable uh, if you're watching it live to get involved in that live chat. So make sure to do that. But where do we start with yesterday, James? Because so much to get into with that. 5-0 win. I think it silenced all the moaners and groaners in the perfect way. Yeah, totally. I know that there's been lots of talk around the football's boring, but you win games carry on uh but but stoke stoke were dreadful yesterday and we took full advantage of that we looked really attacking solid at the back um and it was just an unbelievable performance from everyone on the pitch and i just thought everyone needs that credit it's been a tough week uh with the sensor deal falling through so i just thought it was a really good win uh, and it showed the rest of the championship we're not going anywhere yeah and something that i really really liked as well is the fact that when I was doing my match reaction, I always try and pick out a man of the match and a player that was sort of outstanding. You genuinely could make a valid case for six or seven players being man of the match yesterday. Yeah, totally. Um, like I said, it was a great performance. I mean, FaZe had a great game, I thought. Um, totally commanded the back um, and, and Stoke had nothing to put out, put out if I'm honest. Uh, but yeah, you could have six or seven nominations for man of the match and it'd be really difficult to pick one out. Yeah, Dakar obviously scoring two, uh, Vardy scoring two, McAteer getting a goal. I thought um, Batuu looked lively. Ben Nelson, I know, played a half. He looked very good as well. But I thought what was good to see right from the first minute yesterday was the intent was there and we really got straight at Stoke and didn't really give them anything. And as, as you said, Stoke were awful, but I want to focus on the Leicester side of this. We've said quite a few times this year we've played teams where they've not been great but we haven't put them to the sword we put Stoke to a sword yesterday yeah from the start the tempo seemed to be different from the Swansea game it was more of a quick tempo I thought and, and I thought it showed on the pitch but yeah if the team teams are not very good in the past we we go in a half time one nil everyone would know there's probably a goal coming against us and, and it gets everyone's heads down. But yesterday, there was none of that. Let's just dismantle these. These are not the best. But let's just take them apart because we are that good. Yeah, and they played into our hands. Going man-to-man, I think, whilst I think it will do Stoke good in the long run and I think they will improve under Stephen Schumacher, it, it was just, it played right into our hands. It left an unreal amount of space and... We did really well with our movement off the ball, I think, was as important with to beat the man-to-man system. 
as movement on it and they just couldn't deal with it yeah totally that that man-to-man system works uh, against a lot of teams but when a team like us has got them quality players in there it doesn't really work that well um and like you say we just took advantage and dismantled them yeah first goal was coming obviously through Dewsbury Hall doing well staying on his feet a nice ball across and then Dakar right place right time another goal for Dakar and it's it's one of those that on Tuesday, he like if I'm sure if you look at the stats, it will say he had a very good game, but it was a frustrating game. Yesterday, I think he really had a good game. Like he scored his two goals, but also he worked so hard off the ball. Yeah, totally. Tuesday, I thought, is it too soon putting him in due to his injury to come back from that's gone? Um, and, and that can go against you sometimes. But I thought yesterday was outstanding. His play off the ball, his, his fetching and carrying, it, it just looked like a a player that we know he can be. Um, so it was great to see. Yeah, and obviously then we went one nil up very quickly, 2-0 up with Casey McAteer. Awful defending. Awful defending from Stoke. Like, I would be losing my head at the level that I do my coaching at if the players left a play, um, a opposition man with that much room at the edge of the box. Just did not close him down, gave him all of the space in the world. And it's like, yeah, there's an element of luck of the deflection, but you earn your own luck if you and in Stokes' case, you you earn your bad luck if you're not going to close anyone down like that. Yeah, it totally didn't close him down. Yeah, it was a nasty deflection. Um, but if you don't close people down, it's it's what you expect. All you gotta do is hit it hard, it can always come off someone. Yeah, and it's it's nice for McAteer as well. That's his first goal since his injury and he wasn't playing in his natural position today. It's something we've discussed a little bit of. Could he move into that midfield area? Early days for him, and he only played a half, but he looked relatively decent in that role, considering. Yeah, I thought I thought he did really well um, up until the incident where I thought he might get sent off here. Um, mm. And I think he was losing his head a bit um, towards that. I think that's the main reason why he came off. Um because he was getting a bit volatile out there. But no, I thought he did all right in that position. It's a new position to him. Um, obviously, going to need coaching that position. But for a first time out there, I thought he did really well. Yeah, and as you say, he was subbed off at half-time. Correct decision for me. You could see, if he'd got sent off after the push on the Stoke man, neither of us could have been sat here moaning right now. No, and, and when I saw it, I, I thought, that's that's really lucky that he's not been sent off for that. Yeah, very, very lucky boy. And it was 2-0 at the time, but... It could very that could have very easily swung the momentum of the game. So, you know, I know we absolutely battered and dismantled Stoke, but you know, when you look at big moments in games that go in your favour, yeah. I think that's like whilst all the play was fantastic and the goals were fantastic, that was a big moment that went in our favour. Yeah, totally. And if we would have been sent off, the second half would have been totally different. We'd be very defensive, trying to protect a 2 0 lead rather than what we did is took them to pieces. Yeah, and at half-time, it wasn't the only change that was made. And this is something that I think is really important to bring up. Ben Nelson came on for Bestergaard. Ben Nelson was chosen to come off the bench ahead of Connor Cody and then Wout Faye's moving into that centre back, uh, central centre-back role. That shows how highly Enzo Moresca is rating Ben Nelson. Yeah, totally. And we know he's going to be a star of the future. Probably, probably play for England. Do well in the Premier League, um, and it's times now. Every time I've seen him play, I've just seen a better and better player in him. So 
I think it's good to see. I think Cody's more of a kind of mature leader now who helps players come on, and, and he'll be coaching Ben as well. So I just think it's great to see. Yeah, it's it, it's great to see. I mean, it's like we talk about Enzo Mosca a lot being this great manager and what he's doing this season is being fantastic. He's brought, like, the primary reason Enzo Maresca was brought in instead of, your, like, Sylvia Scott Parkers and your other names that were banded around at the start of his season is because he's a coach that develops and improves young players. Yeah, totally, and it's what, it's what we needed. It's where we used to be. Mm. We used to have a great academy and bring players forward, um, and we've seen that with the likes of Harvey Barnes, um, Hamza, and other ones. That, that we need to get back to that, and I think that's what it is, is... We, we then went for a stage of buying players that weren't didn't really fit that kind of mould that we'd like to develop players. There'd be players that were proven. Whereas I think it's good to get back to where we were and start developing these players and, and make them better. And I think as a business model, when you do sell them, you're making a massive amount of profit, which I think is good as a business side as well. Yeah, and we're, we're going to get into uh, the numbers and transfer talk in a little bit but uh, after this talk about the Stoke game. But Second half, it felt very much similar to first half, just didn't give Stoke an inch. And it very quickly went it, um, in the second half. Wild phase picking the ball up from his own, from pretty much a halfway line and running into the Stoke box. How no one brought him down before he got there is like criminal defending from Stoke. But I love that from him. Just pick the ball up and drive. Yeah, totally. Defending wise, no one went near him. Um, until he got in the box, um, and then he got clattered. Um, so I think, yeah, great to see him do that. Um, different opposition, you've probably seen all that, so a bit risky, but fair play to him. He drove forward, got in the box, and got the penalty. Um, then it's 3 0, and then we just started to cruise after that. Yeah, it was game over at that point, wasn't it? It's like at 2 0, I don't, it's not game over, but we were comfortable because if Stoke get a goal back and make it 2 1, then it gives them hope. and uh, yeah. they'll probably bounce, there'll be a bounce from them. Yeah. At 3-0, it felt like we were just controlling the game, controlling the ball. And I know we won 5-0. It felt like we had another couple of gears to go up if we really wanted to. Yeah, I think if, if Stoke could have caused us more problems, I think we'd have gone up a few gears um, to help with that. And, and in the end, it kind of looked like a bit like a training exercise, the way they were pinging the ball around. The way we played, and I think that's credit to Enzo and his team. They've obviously had a tough week, and then to come out and perform like that is outstanding. Yeah, and obviously Vardy getting the goal as well. I believe it was his first touch of the game. Winks with a defence splitting pass. Uh, James Justin with a first time ball in, and then Vardy first touch of the game scoring. It's like I keep saying this: every Vardy goal I'm enjoying because you don't know if it's going to be his last one. Yeah, totally. And I think credit to James Justin. When when you see the pass, what a pass it was. I mean, he's, he's bent it around two defenders to get to Vardy, and then Vardy's got an easy finish. Um, so I think James Justin and Wings made that goal. But yeah, it's great to see Vardy score. And every time he, he scores, I think he's at the last one. And then we're going to get a penalty. Um, and then there's another Vardy goal. Yeah. Any penalty that hits the back of the net is a good penalty. Yeah, totally. But... Yeah, so 5 0 there. And so there's something that I saw earlier today on Twitter, which is so true. It's like there's an element of irony of that performance coming after the week that Enzo Maresca's had against Stoke, a team that 
similar to us, had a long period in the Premier League. And like they since then they've gone through managers like Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones, Alex Neal, the type of managers that the moaners and groaners seem to have wanted us to appoint. And they are absolutely miles off it at the moment. And it's like that could have very easily been us. Yeah, totally. I think the moaners and groaners, and, and I'll say this now, football's not what it used to be. It's completely changed. We, 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 have, we had a discussion months ago around goalkeepers. The goalkeeper of old would get the ball, lump it forward, whereas the new goalkeepers, and you see the top ones in the Premier League, will, will take the ball, control it, pass it around, making sure it's going to the right people and build rather than what it used to be. And football's exactly the same. Gone's are the days of Wimbledon where you'd lump it forward and hope for the best. The new style of football is what Pep does and does really well. Arteta's doing it as well. It's about building that structure, building from the back, going forward, picking the right passes. And then when you have to take teams to pieces and you have to be patient when you do that. And I think that's what the problem is. People are just not being patient. And we saw when Pep went to Man City, the same thing. No one liked his philosophy. Um, and people said he wouldn't last long, but it has lasted long and it's got better and better. And, and when you start winning leagues and you're playing that way, people start to forget about how boring they thought it was. Because when you win a league title, you win a league title. It's also like, and I know the easy comparison with Enzo Maresca is Pep Guardiola because he was his assistant, but I've used this comparison with you before. I think if you look at, and I think it's more comparable to Leicester than what Man City is. If you look at, at Brighton under Chris Hewton when they transitioned then to Graham Potter, like there was frustration at the time, but they trusted what they were doing. And obviously De Zerbe's came in, but he's very much built on the foundations of what Graham Potter did. Yeah. It's like those frustrations and there was problems to start with. But look at where they are now. They're seventh in the league. They're in a European semi-final. It's just, and they're still in the FA Cup. It's like they're exactly where we were a few years ago when we were doing all of these things. It's like there's not a top team in Europe now in terms of like the top five teams that just plays this long hoofball system. It's like look at Xavi Alonso with Bayer Leverkusen. They play very similar systems to Pep Guardiola. I think it's it's different, but it's very similar. Um, you look obviously, I think. I believe Girona are top of La Liga, which is a fantastic story in itself. Um, but they play uh, attacking football where they try and control games and they try and um, they really try and exploit the spaces of opposition. It's like, yes, there's time and a place for counter-attacking, but it's like the general trend of football has moved away from that. And it's like, I think the fact that we won the league like it I think it's fantastic. It goes without saying, but I feel like that's the last success team that's been really successful with it. Yeah, totally. And teams, I think teams misjudged us before we won the league. Won the league with counter attacking. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. But then people block counter attacking now. They know how to block it. They know how to stop it. The counter attacking doesn't really work very well. Um, it can work on in the odd game. But I think we now need to start building, building from the back, be, be patient with what we're doing now. But, you know, like you say, it, it does look a bit European. That's how the Europeans used to play. You think back to Madrid and, and Barcelona, that's how they used to build from the back, pass people to death and then score. 
Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, sometimes it's not very exciting to watch because you're not really going forward that often because you're keeping possession. But it's all around possession football at the minute. Um, so I think that that's where the moans are coming from. It's just different and people are, are struggling to adjust to it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and I love the fact Enzo Moresca got the reaction he did from the away fans yesterday. And he always does from the away fans. The away fans have and always, I think, have been this season brilliant with Enzo Moresca and right behind him. And it's like, but you could see his frustration on Monday, uh, sorry, on Tuesday night after the Swansea game where he didn't come over and clap fans. I think he was frustrated because of the transfer window, but you, that you could tell that was also a bit of frustration with the groaning. Yeah, totally. I think I think he struggles at home. I think away he has a great time. You know, the away fans are the away fans and, and how good they are. But I think at home, um, if your team's wins, <laughs> you shouldn't see anyone groaning, if I'm being honest. Um, and, and I just don't get it. You, no. you've, gone, you've paid your money. I think people think they should be entertained, where it's a results business. We say it all the time. You need the results, and that's how managers keep their jobs with results. That's how you go. You get results. It's not going to be pretty all the time. And I think that's a problem. People are just moaning because it's not entertaining. But we're getting but, results and grinding out results, and we're still top. The thing is, I would argue I, I'm enjoying it at the moment. 11 goals in three games is, like, top of the league by 11 points. What more do people want? But I sat for the first time at the back of SK1 um, behind the Union FS section uh, against Swansea. And the difference between there and my usual seat is night and day. Like, and I'd, I still think where I am normally, uh, the back of SK3, is one of the better areas in the ground if you take away L1 and SK1. But it just like the atmosphere that's created in SK1 compared to the rest of the ground, like outstanding. And I think that it's like that part, of, like it was so much more positive there than it was compared to where I usually am. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and that's basically what the singing, singing section was, was done for. Um, but I personally think it, it's not, it has worked and it's not worked. It has worked because if you're in there, you get that great atmosphere. But if you're out of there, the atmosphere doesn't grow. It's just yeah. in one corner, like it does. And I know when we get an away team, um, it, it's just in one corner. And, and it, it's how do you grow that to the rest of the ground? Oh. We've, we've talked about it a lot. I think that, and I know you're going to upset people if you move it again because people are going to have to give up season tickets and all of that. But I think it needs to be either in where the family stand is and then you switch family stand and the cop or bang in the centre of the cop. Like, it's, but I don't, also don't buy this narrative about the acoustics of the ground and it being a modern stadium, which is why the uh, sound doesn't travel. 90% of German stadiums and modern grounds, because it was built for the 2006 World Cup, their atmospheres are the best in Europe. Yeah, it is. Acoustics don't, don't get me wrong, acoustics don't help, but I think the position of the singing section is ridiculous. Basically, the opposite end of the away fans. Mm -hmm. um, now, you, you won't remember this, but in Filbert Street days, the cop was next to the away fans. And the atmosphere in film history was totally mind-blowing of what we've seen down the King Power. So I, I just think it probably needs putting in the right section um, and growing. So I think it needs growing as well. 
I think as well, that will start to happen when the expansion happens. I think that's when they'll be able to readjust things and move things around. I think the problem they've got at the moment is if they move tickets at the moment or move like move it now, there will be undoubtedly people who have been sat in their seat for however many years who will be unhappy that they have to move or are being asked to move. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think last time they were asked to move, there's, there's no reasons given. I think if you, if you, from an earlier outset, if you say, we're going to move people and this is the reason why, we need a better atmosphere, we need to help the players on the pitch and help them players on the pitch will mean better results, mm -hmm. higher up the league, etc. Um, so I think as long as you say that from the outset, I think people are not going to be as fussed. Yes, they'll probably say, well, I've sat here for years, what are you going to do to help me? and the club will need to work through them few cases but on the whole i don't think people will be overly bothered i think it was how it was done last time was probably yeah i think that's a problem how it was done they weren't transparent from the start and then all of a sudden people got told they were moving whereas i think if you're fully transparent from the start tell people months in advance that this is what you're going to do then it's not that much of a shock and people have time to adjust yeah and something that you said there about the away fans is like you go to so many of the away grounds and you're like in the away end, you're next to their main section of the ground and it just creates a better atmosphere. So I think the away end needs, like you could do with moving the away end or either, as I say, putting the cop the other side of the ground, but I think it just needs a proper reshuffle. Yeah, totally. Like I said, at Filbert Street, it worked. The away fans were next to SK1, SK2, SK3. I don't think there was an escape for them, might have been. Um, and it worked really well. And you see that in a lot of grounds that you have their cop next to the away ground, next to the away fans. Um, it's just how do you do that? But I think when 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 you've got a ground expansion, that gives you a prime time to say the cop's in the wrong place, it needs moving, mm -hmm. and put it in the right place. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree. But let's move on because we've obviously had deadline day this week. And that has meant that no deal, no players have come in and three players have left. I feel like we leave the transfer window in a weaker place than we started it with, say, they go in. Not a player that I particularly rated, but it's someone that was being used. Yeah, totally. I, I think in that midfield area, we do look a lot more weaker than we were before. Um, and I think Maresco knows that. Um, so he's got to deal with what we've got at the minute, and I know it's going to be difficult. It's a, with uh, with that. How disappointed do you think Enzo Mrasko will be with the fact that we didn't get another midfielder in? Very. With Castro going, going back to Chelsea, he knows he needs to fill that spot, um, and he's not been able to. Whether some of the youngsters coming back from injury can can fit into that slot, maybe. Um, I'm not sure how far off full fitness they are. Yeah, it's. I think he thought as well, from the way that I read it, that he was going to get Sensi, which is why he talked about him in a press conference, I believe, on the 12th of January. But I don't, managers don't normally do that unless you think you are getting a player. Yeah. Mm. I think everybody, but some people at Leicester thought they were getting a player. Yeah. But obviously, they didn't. You you understand this side of the game much more than me, and like I know there's a financial fair play issues, but what I struggle to understand is how 
you can be trying to work on something and have him have all the medical and all of that done on deadline day and still be trying to work on something that you were working on two weeks ago in terms of like wriggle room for FFP. Like, why didn't the Sensi deal happen? So, so if you look, if you look at a standard transfer, um, first of all, you make an approach, personal terms get agreed, then you get the financial agreement with the club. Um, and then medicals done, medicals passed, signed contracts, etc. Um, what I don't understand is if this deal was in doubt, why flying all the way to England to a medical? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, it's just, I, I think it doesn't look good on the club. Um, they're saying, I've seen reports today, oh, we'll go back in for Sensei, you might not want to come now because of the way he's been treated. Um, he thought the transfer was happening. He signed the contract. Leicester City didn't co-sign that contract. And someone's pulled the plug on that deal. Now, it I don't think it'd be financial fair play because that all that stuff would have been agreed before he was allowed to travel. You can't let someone travel for a medical when you've not got agreement to sell someone. Yeah, it just, it just seemed very strange and almost disorganised on deadline day. But... I'm never a fan of this on like rushing around on deadline day to get deals done. It's like we had all window to get it done. It's like, and we knew we knew we got to a point where it was unlikely any players were leaving. So I st- like this is why I struggle to understand. It's like why is was there this mad rush on deadline day when we knew what the situation and the circumstances were? Yeah, and and that's what I don't understand. So morning of deadline day you looked at your figures and go right we know what we can afford we know what we can't afford and if Inter was saying coming up with a figure that we can't afford we should have said to them there and then we can't afford that mm-hmm. end of discussion um but instead it's been pushed through the medical happened to our expense that must have cost thousands to fly him over obviously pay him pay his wages and stuff so that wouldn't have been cheap um to do that either um and then to pull the plug at the last minute is just ridiculous and I just if you look at transfers generally our reputational can't reputational damage can't be good because you'd be looking at it going why would I want to go to them because I could have a medical and they could pull it at the last point that's the second January deadline day in a row that something like that's happened obviously Jack Harrison last year and admittedly that was on Leeds because Jack Harrison uh was all set and signed but they pulled yeah. the plug on that one this one, I think as well, because it's a club the size of Inter as well, and like yeah. you see the, you see all the press around it saying Inter were ready to sell, Inter had everything yeah. agreed, it was on Leicester. And it's like, there's no sort of way that the club can try and spin it any other way. No, totally. And I, I think if it was financial fair play or the new profitability rules, the, the plug would have been pulled so much sooner than him flying here. Um, it just doesn't make sense that why send someone for medical and you haven't got a financial agreement to buy him. Yeah, it just that, seems like a decision. That plug would have been pulled a, like at least a couple of days earlier if they knew it was a financial fair play issue. This is why I struggled to buy uh, buy that story and believe that story. But it was so typical. And I I said to you the night before, uh, so the night of deadline day, and I did a deadline day stream sort of. Uh, tracking it and seeing what um if it was going to happen or not we were live for about two two three hours and something that i said during that stream was that 
if we don't get him, watch tomorrow morning. There will be we will be linked to a player for the summer to try and appease the fan base. Guess what happened? Next morning, linked to Callum O'Hare. Totally. It's like you can um, see it coming a mile off. Yeah, totally. Um, it's distraction tactics. Um, I, I don't think... I don't, I, I, if you look at it and you think, yourself, how has this happened? Um, it's someone behind the scenes in Leicester's obviously not wanted the deal to go ahead. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, we saw in the press the next day, all the inter-press were, don't know how why it didn't happen. Everyone expected him to be a Leicester player, um, including including their own press in Italy. Um, Isn't it true but, that he said goodbye to his teammates and everything like that? And it was all yeah. like... He'd... Well, you would, wouldn't you? If you're yeah. told you're signing for someone, you've agreed personal terms, and your parent club has agreed to it, and you're going for a medical, you say goodbye to people because you mm. don't expect to be there the next day. Yeah, it's... I feel really sorry for him in this, and I know he's a multi-millionaire footballer. He'll survive, he'll be fine. But he's been massively messed around with this. Yeah, totally. If you think about it, though, this was he's not he's not done well at Inter with injury, etc. Um, and this was his fresh start. Um, mm-hmm. He was going to a different club. He liked the manager. He liked the club. It was a new, exciting start for him. He was ready to hit the ground running. And then he got pulled from underneath him. Mentally, that's not going to be good for him. Um, and now he's got to go back into Inter where he probably won't play and, and and run down his contract for the next six months. Yeah, and there's, I think in terms of the fact, I think it doesn't affect us getting promoted. I think regardless, we will go up. I do think what it does, what I don't agree with though, is then saying, oh, well, just sign him in the summer on a free. Two things. Would you, like, I if I was him, I'd have serious second thoughts about coming now after after January. And also, you can like we've said for a while that we're gonna if we sign anyone in January, it needs to be someone who can step up to the Premier League. But you know the narrative that he's gonna get put pushed in the summer is oh you can't do it all in one window. And it's like, well, we didn't have to, we could have spread it across two. Yeah, and I think that's what Enzo tried to do. He, he looked at it and go, okay, then what, what do I need for the Premier League? And he knows he needs a great midfielder, that midfield general, which sense he would have been. Um and, and also, it, it gives him time in the championship to develop to the English game, get coached. Um, they can have a look at his fitness. Um, they can put things in place to make sure his fitness is okay and, and keeps going forward. But now, now you're gonna if we buy him, you're gonna throw him into the Premier League. If we yeah. hopefully go touch touch wood. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's like and as, as I said, I still hope we get him, but it just feels like. It's a bit of an opportunity missed. And it's like, if it was a financial fair play thing, as we've said before, I would think fair enough, absolutely. But I just don't buy it for one second. No. Um, and and I think even if it was financial fair play, sign a pre-contract with him so he comes in the summer. Um, be open about it and say, look, we'll sign the pre-contract with you and get you in the summer um, because mm-hmm. we can't afford the £2 million that they want um, but we can get you for free in the summer so just hold out and we'll get you in the summer sign his pre-contract but none of that's happened so what you get now is it's going to be a free-for-all there might be other clubs coming from now yeah same as two million as well and this is from some credible sources as well it's not just some random ITKs like some top top tier sources uh, saying that 
we only would have had to like it was they were happy to send him to us as a free transfer and then only have to pay two million if we got promoted. And then and it, there's also the stipulation as well that apparently he could if we didn't get promoted, he could go. And it's like Yeah, Caroline, it, was, it was only a one year contract as well. It was it was minimal risk. Um it's not as though you signed him on a five year deal, so it was minimal risk. Um and every time I talk about this it just infuriates me what went wrong because it just seems like something happened in the background that caused this not to happen and and, and I don't believe it was financial fair play if I'm being honest because that would have came out before the transfer had even got that far yeah you don't as you say you don't get that far for it then to be financial fair play but as I say regardless I think we we are fine for going up in terms of like I don't yeah. think that will make be the difference yeah. I think holding on to Jewsbury Hall, again, that was the main positive yeah. of Jan January. But what I will say is it does op open an opportunity for your likes of Eunice, your likes of McAteer. Um, can they step up and can they make that role their own? Yeah, totally. I, I think last first time I saw Eunice play, I thought and looked okay. Next few games, he's not been the best. But the last few games, he seemed to have come into his own and been a different player. Um, been really impressed in the last two games, and I was surprised he didn't start yesterday. Yeah, he he offers something completely different in that midfield, doesn't he? Just energy, and I think yeah. on the ball he's very good. It's just yeah. that decision making. But it's what we said about McAteer earlier on. He's playing in a new role, and he's been coaching, coached, yeah. and developed throughout the season to be playing in a different role. So yeah. I think it's a player you're just going to need to be patient with. Yeah, totally. And like I say, he's getting better, so he's obviously being developed. Um, so let's see what the next well next time we play. Let's see how it gets on. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. You said to me before we um, before we went live or started recording. Sorry, you said about this graph that you wanted me to show and talk about. So, James, the floor's yours. Okay. So, so this is from Kieran Maguire. As we know, Kieran Maguire is the god with regards financial fair play and finances of football clubs. Um, this is how much Premier League teams owe in transfers. So basically what happens is, and I use Harvey Barnes as an example. Um, Harvey Barnes, we got 40, 40 million for him. I think the figure was banded around. But we didn't actually get 40 million for him. So every single player is based on instalments. Um, so if you look at that table around Newcastle, some of their instalments they owe, they'll be owing us for Harvey Barnes. So I think the Harvey Barnes deal was over three years. So they'll pay three instalments for Harvey Barnes. But what that means is we owe 75 million to different clubs for players based on instalments. Um, and there's a, hor there's a horrible myth that, you know, when you see all these figures banded around 80 million stuff that they, that they just pay 80 million from there and then we don't, you pay a one-off fee and then you pay installments. Um, so as part of financial fair play, because we, we still owe 75 million, it's difficult to bring players in because our income is so small. Um, and if you look at Man United, they owe 364 million in installments, which is not good. Yeah. But saying that, uh, surely we're due, like, I know we owe installments, but surely that works both ways with the players that yeah, we've sold. Totally. We'll be, we'll yeah, be totally. Doing... Um, and, and, and the reason for the graph is, um, the question was asked is, why, why has this transfer window been 
rubbish for a lot of clubs and it's because they owe so much money in installments and because of the profitability rules now and because Everton have got done for it the clubs are stepping back and going we can't we can't do what we used to do we owe all this money we can't buy anyone um because nobody wants to break them rules because nobody wants points deduction it's got everyone treading on eggshells hasn't it really which thing is i think and i've said this for a while if ffp was implemented properly i think it's it would be a good thing but it hasn't been for the longest time so if they are going to tighten the screw but tighten the screw on everyone then i think that can only be a good thing but it's like will it be tightened on everyone or is it just going to be certain clubs and different rules for different clubs I don't know. I think FFP in theory work works okay. I think the problem with it is, is your top six clubs, their income is so big that they can spend and buy whoever they want, and anyone outside of the six clubs hasn't got a big income, so they can't buy who they want, um, even if they've got the money to. Which is what Newcastle have seen. They've got loads and loads of money, but they can't buy who they want because their income is not what it should be. So they have to start growing and the same with us we've said this for years sponsorship deals are huge i mean everyone had a moan about fbs but they bought money into the club and we need to start doing that we need to start bringing money into the club so you can start spending more if you want to be a top premier league club then you have to start by bringing more money into the club um and, and i know everyone likes the season tickets not going up but it doesn't bring any more money into your club um which is why we need to start looking at better sponsorships i mean i've even said a few weeks ago when i was talking to someone they said well what what kind of sponsorship deals i said surely you should be looking at a stadium sponsor because as we've seen with the top clubs they bring in millions and millions mm-hmm. it's like king power like is fantastic and they've done wonders for this club absolutely yeah, wonders. but nate the sponsorship on the shirt brings in next to nothing doesn't it no, because it's owned by the it's owned by your owner. So, um, so you need to bring proper sponsorships in, and and some of the sponsors we have are quite good. And um, we just need to bring ones with the right money for the right deals. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what goes forward. But I think until you start doing that, and I think the ground expansion will help with income. Um, it's just we need to get that income in so we can start spending more um, and so bringing the players that we want. It's that corporate section, isn't it, where it's going to really bring in the the money for yeah. the expansion it won't really like an increase in season ticket prices or whatever will right. make minimal it won't make right. any difference it's the it's that corporate area yeah and, and someone always says to me around around fans fans don't bring in any money at all for a football club um when you look at your running costs so so your everyday fan doesn't bring much in it's your corporate areas um your adverts um all that stuff that brings money in yeah this again I, this is why i love having you on the channel because you understand this side of the game 10 times more than i do but if like as a hypothetical so we go up in the summer do we then will we still have a decent amount to spend or will it will we still be in these ffp restrictions that seem to have held us back this winter um, we'll be in a lot better position because of the tv money um <laughs> the tv money is non-existent in the championship which is why we're really struggling because our as we've seen reported numerous times our wages are high, well too high for the championship and um, so in the premier league will be a lot better we've also got six players out of contract 
Um, mm -hmm. Even if you re-sign them, you'd probably want to re-sign them on a lower contract. Um, so you're not losing money that way. So I think we'll be in a lot better position. We won't be in the best position, but we'll be in a lot better than we have been this season. Um, and I think a few seasons in the Premier League above mid-table, you start accumulating more and more, getting some more sponsorship and a brand new expanded stadium and things are starting to look up and up. And playing football the Enzo way, so on the pitch, it looks good. Um, and if you keep winning, more sponsors want to be part of you because you keep winning. Yeah, it's it's a snowball effect, isn't it? And we saw that on our upwards trajectory before, like the more yeah. sort of businesses were getting involved and you got more sponsors. But you also saw that in the other way where it's a like snowball in a negative way where you saw when we got relegated, sponsors dropping out left, right and centre. Yeah, FBS were the first one saying we're not in the Premier League anymore, so we don't want to sponsor you match days um, because it wasn't profitable for them. Um, totally understand that. Um, so when you're in the Premier League, you do attract a lot more sponsorship deals and I think we just need to make benefit of them going forward. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's get back to the pitch and talk about the football, not the business side of things. Watford away on Saturday. Can we make it four wins out of four, three out of three in the league? I think so. I think Watford are up and down, so it depends on how Watford play and what team they play. Um, but I think they're going to be on a high. Um, football's always been a confidence business, so I think they're going to have huge confidence going forward. Um, again, they're playing in front of the away fans. So they'll like that. Um, so I think um, probably 2-0 I'll go with. Yeah, something, something that's quite interesting about this Watford game as well is they play Southampton on Tuesday night because they've got their FA Cup replay as well. So and I've seen a lot of negativity around Watford fans at the moment. They're not happy. Uh, so I think anything less than three points will be disappointing. Yeah, totally. And I think Southampton's a great example. They keep winning. Um, and we're in the driving seat now. The league's ours to lose. What you got to do is focus on yourself, win, win your games. And we've got Southampton's play and Leeds play. You get two draws in that, and, and you've won the league. Um, as long as you can keep grinding out the other results and not slip up. So I think one game at a time. But yeah, this is going to be four wins in a row. I, I saw a ridiculous stat earlier today that if we didn't score another point this season, we would still be inside the playoffs last season. Yeah, totally. We're the same. I think we're the same points now. The team that finished fifth last season. Um, but you have to keep going. It <laughs> just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I know. Totally. Um, and 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 if you remember a few months ago, the trajectory that us and Ipswich were on, according according if if the form stayed the same, we'd finish on one hundred and nine points, and Ipswich would finish on one hundred and seven points. And how can you come second with 107 points? Well, to be fair, the wheels have fallen off the tractor at Ipswich a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, totally. And I, I think we said before that I don't see them carrying on with this. Leeds and Southampton have always been the real dangers for me. Um, and, and Southampton are starting to hit the ground running again. And Leeds have started to pick up as well. So I think they're, they're going to be the two rivals. Um, but as long as we keep winning, they, keep, they can't get any more points than three a game. So... Keep winning. Yeah. That's it. I'm only, I'll be honest, the only team that worry me slightly is Southampton. But with Ipswich, just going back to them just for a second, I think for them, even if they finish fourth, fantastic season for them. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I think for me, between third and fourth will be a battle between Leeds and Ipswich. 
mm-hmm. um, if I'm being honest. Um, but I think Ipswich have had an amazing season. And um, no, came up from League One. No one expected them to do this. Um, McKenna's done a great job there, and I think he'll continue to do that. And I think even if they don't go up this season, they'll probably go up maybe next season if they keep the same players. Just keep the same players and keep McKenna, isn't it? Because yeah, Palace will be interested in a manager in the summer, and well, that's probably optimistic thinking if you're Roy Hodgson that he's going to get to the summer. Because after yesterday, let's say not some not so good scenes if you're a Palace fan at full time, but. I think Palace will be looking for a manager. I think, um, and we know how quickly football can change. There'll be a, a lot of clubs looking for managers. So I think for them, it's about holding on to McKenna and holding on to as many of their players as they can. Yeah, totally. Um, season's not over yet. So I think there'll be playoffs, maybe trip to Wembley. Yeah. Uh, before we finish, I'm going to put this in the description. We've set up a Twitter page. For the podcast, uh, the so it is called. What is the Twitter page called, James? Because as always, I'm super organised. Uh, let's talk LCFC. There you go. So make sure to give that a follow. I will put it as the top link in the description down below. Give that a follow. We'll put some clips out from uh, the podcast. So what I might start doing is putting a few clips out on there before the podcast's released to sort of give you a little preview of what's up and coming but i think we've covered everything james yep been good as always yeah we will be back next week as well so i'm gonna try and make this weekly monday six o'clock so as i've said with my roundup show but that's now going to be every sunday morning 10 o'clock um the championship panel is always going to be 7 30 i want to make sure that i when possible, have the uh, Let's Talk Leicester City podcast as a Monday at six o'clock. So trying to build it into more of a schedule and instead of just having scattergun content, so to speak, have it more as a schedule so you guys know exactly when I will be uploading. But guys, thank you so much to everyone who has been watching. If you have enjoyed it, please do make sure to drop a thumbs up. If you haven't already subscribed, I'll see you guys in the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.